Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam, and I'm your host, Tariq El Amin. For those of you who are new to Radio Islam, we welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we are a live call in talk show broadcasting from Chicago on WCEV 1450 AM. And you can listen to our live stream at www.wcev1450.com. And remember, uh, I've been saying this for a while, just want to make sure you haven't forgotten, you can now catch us on the TuneIn app. Just look for us at WCEV. All right, Radio Slime family, make sure that you are following us, keeping up with us on social media, on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at the same username. That's at Radio Islam USA. At Radio Islam USA. So if you have a comment or a question that you'd like to pose throughout the course of tonight's show, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us, uh, hit us on Twitter, at Radio Islam USA, or even uh, get at me at my, my personal Twitter, uh, at Imam Tariq Alameen. And you also have the option of calling in. And you can do that at 312-750-1178. That is 312-750-1178. Okay, Radio Islam family, hope everyone is doing well, uh, that you've had a good day. If you are on the road right now driving, hope you're doing so safely, buckled up, not texting. Um, Especially if you're listening to the radio, uh, you definitely don't want to be listening and texting and driving. All right, so be safe out there. So what do we want to start at today? I guess a good place for us to start, uh, because there's uh, there's always so much that we we can just pick from. It's like just low hanging fruit walking through a through a garden, you know, just a garden of news. Um, one of the things that caught our eye today, um, the impressive one, Ibrahim Beg, our uh, assistant producer, extraordinaire uh, engineer. He is. Uh, we were talking earlier about some of the uh, violence that is taking place right now uh, that the news is covering as far as uh, Sri Lanka is concerned. And figured we'd let you all in, let the Radio Islam family in on some of that conversation. So I guess we can sort of, we'll, we'll set the stage up just by saying uh, one, of the, one of the news reports uh, that, that I looked at, it says that, um, so there's a state of emergency, emergency that has been declared. And this all leads back to a uh, Sri Lankan, uh, a Sinhalese, Buddhist youth who was uh, said to have been killed by a group of uh, adult Muslim men. Uh, And from that, there have been a a series of reprisals that has taken place and has left uh, left a lot of people scratching their heads and just trying to figure out uh, what is going to come next. So at this point, uh, you want to give us salams to the the family? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yeah, so even more importantly than the, or just as important as the news that, uh, that's unfolding that they're, they're, that they're covering, is the responses that, that some people might have to it. And in particular, uh, Ibrahim shared, a, shared an article with me uh, from the New York Times. 
Again? Yeah, again, right? <laughs> so Radio Islam Family, you know that's you know that's that's Ibrahim's paper, right? Uh, but it, it was a it was a really good article, and it brought up a really uh, interesting point that um, just about the public perception of why people are surprised. As a matter of fact, it's your story. You 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 introduced it to me. <laughs> so um, yeah, but but people are surprised that Buddhists are at the center or in the same conversation as violence Mm -hmm. well to start off the situation in Sri Lanka is that um, there have been as you mentioned there's suddenly actually declared a state of emergency Mm -hmm. because there's so many attacks going on against the minority Muslim population there the majority is Buddhist we all have heard about the uh, Tamil Tigers Mm mm-hmm they were a Hindu population, I believe, the minority of Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. Now the Muslims are being targeted. There was a long civil war and everything. We briefly know the history about that. Right. But all of a sudden, this week, Muslims are being targeted. Um, mosques are being burned. Uh, Muslim shops and stores are being burned. Um, it's because of this chain of events that whatever it may be, maybe Muslims really were guilty. They, they did something wrong, mm-hmm. right, in a sense, but... It, in no way does it justify targeting of the whole population, minority population of a country with the kind of violence and burning stores and mosques and everything. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Just, to, just before you go any further, mm-hmm. just to give it a little, a uh, little more context um, for the Radio Sound family. When he says uh, mosques have, have been burned, so um, according to one report uh, uh, reported by CNN, they said that Wednesday that four mosques, 37 houses, 46 shops. And 35 vehicles were destroyed uh, in the initial outbreak of violence, and that was at the time of that reporting. So we don't know what has taken place uh, since that since that time. Okay. Part of the tragedy in this is that people are going to. There's a lot of people out there, even in our own country, who are going to hear this, mm-hmm. and in the back of their mind, they're thinking, or maybe even verbally, they're going to say and think that Muslims, oh, they must have done something to deserve this because, mm-hmm. you know, their religion is like that. Um, well, not so fast. <laughs> like you mentioned, the New York Times article is titled, Why Are We Surprised When Buddhists Are Violent? Mm-hmm. So the theme here is that, look, there's good and bad people in every religion, right? right. There's been this um, sense of surprise, though, when we see the Buddhist population of now Sri Lanka and uh, recently and also ongoing in Myanmar. Right. Carrying out uh, many kinds of atrocities and even a genocide against the Rohingya population who happens to be Muslim. Um, the article talks a little bit about, and it's, it's a very um, interesting question that we can ask ourselves as a society, is that why are we being caught by surprise and almost being shocked by um, Buddhist people committing violence against others? Um, and it has to do with now I'm, I'm I'm diverging from the article a little bit now. Mm-hmm. It has to do with the image that we've been presented of Buddhism as this very peaceful thing, which it is, um, as a very kind of in America like a very what's the word like a hipsterish type yeah. of like spirituality, right? Mm-hmm. People would just sit around and, and meditate, and why why would they want to be violent? However, the real world is such that there's good and bad people in every religion, right? Um, and I would also say the the form of 
Buddhism that we're uh, familiar with in the United States is a very like trendy kind of form, um, which is a little bit maybe not representative of the form practiced. Uh, the very not traditionally. Yeah, the more traditional form that's practiced in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. So there's that. But it really opens up the door to ask the question. If we've been presented uh, the image of Buddhism, for example, as something which can, uh, the adherence of which can do no wrong, what does that tell us about the opposite, the reciprocal of this case? Which is how have we been presented the image of Islam? and Muslims is it in the same light or is it in the opposite light and that shows the power of the media mm. right and how much control you have when you have the ability to give people a first impression or a repeated impression of something whether that be a religion or an ethnicity or a race of people or whatever that may be so the bottom line here is uh, this should be a cause for concern right because um, obviously there's good and bad people in East religion. Now it also is the point where people might say, well, but Islam is worse because, you know, there's so many terror attacks and stuff like that. Um, even that, if you look at throughout history, is that statistically true or not? No, we can go, we don't, we don't even have to go back that far. We can look, look at the um, Irish, uh, uh, was it the, I, the IRA? Mm-hmm. And uh, the 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 carnage, the violence that was enacted with, within that struggle, pipe bombs and all types of explosives, and um, it. But they were never demonized as a as a people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catholics were not demonized. White people were not uh, demonized. Irish, in particular, were not were not demonized. So what what you're saying? Um, it is a it's an extremely uh, important point for us to look at, uh, and I would add on to that when you mentioned about the kind of this hipster expression of Buddhism now. Uh, speaking about the the lack of representation of the of a traditional or the elements of of different parts of uh, the cultures that embodied uh, Buddhism, mm-hmm. right? Because there was there was one mention of um, uh, oracular, you know, um, representations as far as amulets and and different types of things that were involved with it uh, that were part of their presentation of Buddhism. But how Buddhism was changed, the expression of it was changed as a direct result of of its interaction with colonial powers. And that, to me, that to me, uh, that says that we need to look at how when people are put in those types of situations, they want to make themselves appear less threatening uh, more palatable to those who have power over them, and we've seen that that play out. Uh, matter of fact, there's a martial art, capoeira, right? Capoeira. Mm-hmm. Capoeira. And um, capoeira, if you are not familiar with it, it's uh, it's an African. Uh, it's a fighting art that looks like they're dancing, right? But you could just like get laid out, right? Somebody start dancing in front of you and catch you with a heel to the top of the head. Um, and I think they did that because they had to. Uh, it was imported from Africa to Brazil. Yeah. And they had to hide it. They had exactly. To hide, the, to hide the fact that they were training martial arts, so they mm-hmm. turned it into a dance to kind of fool the onlookers. Yeah. But anyway, that's yeah. another subject. <laughs> <laughs> so, but 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 that point 
uh, it just goes to show that even in the representation uh, that that the um, whatever group that we look at, right, they they have a say in how they present themselves, but we don't know why they're presenting themselves in the way they are. But then we also have to look at in the age of mass media, the power of of how people are uh, how people are portrayed, how groups are portrayed, mm-hmm. and that goes right to and we talked about this before uh with uh, the late professor jack shaheen yeah. um and he talked about a is for arab you know the whole the de- de- uh, demonization of arabs and muslims in the media and you could almost say the opposite i can't think of a negative not that we sh- should have one but i can't think of any negative um images right that come to mind when i think about uh buddhism in the media it's it's very simple it's, it's very yeah. Like yoga, yeah, you know. So, um, what do we go with these two? They're they're almost two polar opposites, but the reality is playing out quite differently. And the power of um, giving someone a first impression of something, of an idea, a religion, or whatever, mm-hmm. is so powerful because you can create something which is called confirmation bias, mm-hmm. right? Confirmation bias basically means that you're biased in a way where um, you see the flaws you're trained to like see the flaws in something and dismiss the flaws in something else without really consciously knowing it right yeah. so if i tell you that for example everyone who works in that building across the street um i don't know spits on the sidewalk or something like that right mm. confirmation bias would mean you would no- you would look out the window and you notice that every single day and subconsciously, we would ignore anyone else who was spitting on the sidewalk. Yeah. So this would reinforce in your mind that, oh, yeah, you know what he told me about those people in that building? Yeah, that's really is true. This is confirmation bias. Yeah. If you can implant that in someone's mind, this is a very powerful way and has very powerful consequences in the way people perceive a religion, ethnicity, a race, nationality, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. I think that has a lot to do with what's going on. In people's mind about Islam Because when they hear this Like okay um, People in Myanmar Or Sri Lanka Who happen to be Buddhists Right mm-hmm. um, They're They're perpetrating These crimes Okay People have a tendency Not to believe that Or to even try to Ignore that And kind of shut that out And automatically jump to Oh but look at what Muslims have done Oh yeah Right Yeah this, Absolutely Yeah This is owed to Confirmation bias And the power of um, being trained to see something a certain way because we were trained in my opinion this is where I get in trouble right um, if you go back to just go back to Hollywood in the 90s in the 80s right who were the bad well in the 80s it was different because of uh, the Afghanistan war right yeah. Yeah. then after the Cold War was over in the 90s who were the main villains but right? they were always bumbling that was the thing uh-huh. they were never they, they were well, I shouldn't say they were never but a movie like uh, True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. right uh, these the villains were all were all um, Arab but they did not they did not portray them as really sinister mm-hmm. they sort of portrayed them as like almost like a Keystone Cops um, you know uh, villains uh, you know like th- these guys are you can't take these guys seriously <laughs> um, so there is something it's the stereotype yeah. Uh, it's the stereotype repeated and repeated and very subtle. Uh, th- you know, it comes through very subtly, but eventually, like I said, it does it does manifest itself in, in ways where you look at one group 
a way you know a lot differently than you do um, others so did you notice anything in particular about the um, or have you seen because I couldn't I couldn't think of any have you have you seen any representations of Buddhists in the media other than as just just people who are kind of not detached from society yeah. and whatnot yeah I can't think of any um, no I really can't now I read an article, and this was funny. And this is, I think, from like 2016. But the article was uh, five things, five misconceptions about Buddhism. Hmm. And one of them, so on the list, two of the things were uh, like this extreme asceticism, this this extreme mm-hmm. uh, detachment from the world, not being yeah. materialistic. It's like that's part of it. That's uh, that's one of the hallmarks of Buddhism. Yeah, but that's but, but that's <laughs> there's other people out there too. Yeah. Right, so um, but then also being like being vegetarian, mm-hmm. uh, and they mentioned like even for the uh, Dalai Lama, at one point he did eat meat, but then later on he backed away from it. But what it does, the danger in this, is that just like all of us, none of us are one thing all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we vary. Even when we talk about Iman, you know, our faith, our faith. We have days, some days where it's it it's up, really it strong, yeah. and then some days, you know, you're struggling. Um, but these stereotypes, they paint us into a box where this is you all the time. And, you know, it's interesting we should bring that point up. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another thing that I announced it on the news today, actually. Mm-hmm. The U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum yeah. announced today that it is rescinding. I'm reading um first paragraph of a Washington Post article. Mm-hmm. It's rescinding the Elie Wiesel Award. Elie Wiesel was a Holocaust survivor, a famous author. Mm-hmm. Um, the award is named after him, and it's the highest honor given by the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum. It gave this award in 2012 to none other than Ooh. Aung San Suu Kyi. <laughs> wow! Uh, the kind of the de facto leader of Myanmar, uh, Myanmar yeah. who was at the time painted out to be this very heroic figure, right? Who's fighting for democracy and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you said, people change (laughs) yeah so now because of all the atrocities that are occurring in myanmar the holocaust museum has rescinded retracted that award from her which is you know we applaud them for that definitely um but it's interesting how someone who is seen as such a heroic figure and someone kind of basically a freedom fighter just Mm -hmm. a few years ago now our perception has changed so radically because of the events that have unfolded um, under her watch, pretty much. Yeah. Well, and it's also important. It's also important to remember to be quite aware that the way news becomes news, uh, the stories that get traction, it's not all up to the big media outlets anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, with us having the type of uh, access that we have, uh, with you know, with people with, with with blogs and being able to grab a cell phone and and take footage of an incident and upload it and share it, uh, social media platforms. Um, that's, that's, that's extremely important to remember when we think about uh, a history of heroes being given to us uh, and, and supported and manufactured. And sometimes those heroes have not been, uh, they have not been people who have been in the best interest, who've had the, 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 the interest of the people uh, at heart. So, 
I wonder, and this is a different conversation, but I wonder what this would look like. I wonder if uh, if she would have had that rescinded from her in a different era where social media was not a factor, where the news was more um, it was more tightly controlled, and and what we what we receive is what we were intended to get. You know, uh, it's not really a conspiracy, but. Uh, but there are, a lot, there are a lot of factors, I think, that, that go into who becomes a hero and who becomes a villain, yeah. whose interests are being served. Uh, but she's, you know, she's still there. All right, Radio Islam family, if you want to join in the conversation, give us a call at 312-750-1178. That is 312-750-1178. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be back in just a few minutes. I became his driver. Soon enough, it was up to me to be his housekeeper and financial manager, too. When he moved in, I became his cook and even his nurse. But no matter what roles I play, I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the roles you play. So to help, we created aarp.org caregiving, where you can connect with experts and other caregivers. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Would your business survive a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency, and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Hey, Mom, why is the sky blue? Why don't animals talk? Why do dogs have wet noses? Why is an 11 pronounced 21? Kids ask a lot of questions. Why do I have a belly button? But you don't have to know every answer. Why is the ocean salty? Because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Why are there 50 states? There are thousands of children in foster care who don't need every question answered. Why is pizza round? They just need you. For more information on how you can adopt, go to AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show, produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el We are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, live streaming at www.wcev1450.com. Remember to keep up with us, follow us on social media. Uh, you'll find us at Radio Islam. That is at Radio Islam on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at Radio Islam. And remember, 
You can find all of our previous episodes wherever you get your podcast. SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn. Uh, once again, at Radio Islam. Uh, USA, at Radio Islam USA. Uh, and sharing is caring. So if you hear something you like, pass it on. Pass it on. All right, Radio Islam family. Uh, Ibrahim and I, we were, uh, we just closed out one discussion. Uh, and we're just, we're just in a sharing mood tonight. We're just sharing. So one of the uh, other things, uh, we were having a conversation earlier, and we were just looking at Chicago. Uh, and every, every city is different, but there are some similarities uh, depending where you, know, where you are. Oh, before I go any further, did I thank them Monday? I think, yeah, I did. I thank Masjid Al-Mu'minun. I'm thinking about that, uh, that oh, Zabiha. Southern hospitality? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that barbecue right now. Um, okay, but I, I'm back now. I'm back. Uh, but, yeah, I was just being in, in Memphis, uh, so I've got a very fresh comparison uh, as to how how we relate. Now, this is something very very specific. So, uh, Radio Islam family, we know we, we have Muslims, we got Christians, we have uh, people of, of no faith or whatever your faith is. doesn't matter, right? You're part of the family. But right now, we want to specifically look at the, uh, the our, our Muslim portion of the family and what we're looking at is the there's a separation right now there are a lot of efforts there's a there's a lot of uh intentionality uh in different spaces about trying to bring together uh this diverse community that we have and in terms of its diversity uh, there are uh, it's been stated that the muslim community in the united states is the largest diverse gathering of Muslims in the world outside of the Hajj, right, outside of the Hajj. So that is a tremendous, that's a tremendous statement in and of itself. But how does that play out in a city like Chicago, uh, specifically, that has a long and storied history of segregation? So I just laid it out for you right there. Uh, Before Ibrahim jumps in there, uh, give us a call. If, if if you want to jump in on this as well, give us a call at 312-750-1178. 312-750-1178. Ibrahim. Well, this conversation before the show kind of started out with uh, the brother that was next to us, Brother Omar. Yeah. He was born in New Jersey. And then we started talking about how the community over there on the East Coast is more active and very... Um, much less segregated than it is here in Chicago. Yeah. And when I have met people from other parts of the country and I've met people from New Jersey and the first thing that they said about Chicago, their observation was that, you know, they have nice big massages here and like uh, some of the buildings are very beautiful and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's very segregated. There's an Arab masjid here. There's a South Asian masjid there. And uh, there's a uh, like a European masjid in the north suburbs, and they don't really seem to have that diversity within each masjid, within each mosque. Um, yeah. That's I want to say that's I should be alarmed, right? Even though <laughs> like I'm used to it now, <laughs> unfortunately, but that's a big problem. I shouldn't be like that. It it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be. Um, un- I shouldn't say unfortunately, but. No, that's 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 the correct that's the correct way to start. That unfortunately, unity uh, in spaces where you have a say so over where you live, 
and and depending upon other factors in your life, you may have a you may have a, a say so as far as where you work, uh, where you go to work out at, uh, what type of car you drive, how you get around, uh, where you worship. Uh, there are a lot of choices that people that w that we all have to make. So that's one that a lot of intentionality. Uh, has to be present. It has to be there for people to say, "I'm I'm going to make a point of being in a space with people who, who don't necessarily all look like me." Um, yeah, but should it even require any effort? It seems like in other cities, people just, you know, there's a masjid built, mm -hmm. and people who are around there, they start going to there. More people move to that area. And just nobody cares if it's, there's African brothers here, there's Arab brothers over there. That we're all playing together, and like nobody feels that difference. Nobody feels the sense where like, oh, I gotta be with my own kind of ethnic community, like it is here. So I don't know, is it a Chicago thing, or is it? Even I went to um, Arizona last month. Mm -hmm. um, beautiful masjid in downtown Tempe, Arizona, close to the college campus there. Yeah. Same thing. Beautiful masjid beautiful people ready to help you and everything but very diverse there oh, was really? like extremely diverse yeah there was it wasn't like tons of people like we have here right smaller community but a uh, nice place you can tell you know you can tell when you walk into the type of mosque that like all right these people are going to like take care of me you know you yeah. can tell yeah it's like active kind of living mosque yeah. versus just somewhere where people go there and pray and then just go out and don't really you know, it was that kind of a living mosque, right? Very diverse, Arab, South Asian, um, African, uh, Pacific, like brothers from like a Malaysia and Indonesia, I think even. Mm -hmm. It's just like everybody was there and it was just one family. I, I, think, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Uh, that's one of the major uh, contributors is you said a living mosque, yeah. right? A living masjid, a place where people come not just not just for the prayer. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a lot of, well, I don't want to speak for, for all masjids um, uh, or all of the, the masajid, but I, I think that depending upon the people's engagement with it, if it is simply a place where they come for prayer and is not a place that they come uh, to socialize because historically we know the masjid has been it's been a center of the uh, of, of the community. It's the places where you know you, you learned. This is a place where you came. You know you had meals. You yes. uh, people got married. Uh, we had celebrations. You know it was a place that had a space and resonance in all parts of our lives. So if you go around and, and you see these different spaces, and this is just one factor, right? Because uh, and, and they're not being utilized beyond that, then there's not going to be any connectivity. The other thing, uh, since we already put uh, our brother on, on, on blast, uh, <laughs> but, but he, he made a point. He said that there is, and of course nobody should, should be surprised, he says that there's also a, a lot of, there's an undercurrent of racism. And he said it's not even intentional. He said, you know, in his perception, he said that it's, it's just, it's, it's either uh, inherited, it's, it's picked up, uh, it's, it's normalized um, biases and uh, barriers that come up 
that make you say, well, I don't want to go. I, maybe I don't feel safe over here or I don't want to be with these people, whatever, whatever the, the, the rationale is. Um, but that should not also be surprising coming with Chicago, especially with this history of, of how, in particular how African-Americans migrated uh, into Chicago mm-hmm. and redlining policies where, you know, we had the South Side and the West Side that we were able to move into. A lot of that choice was taken away. So... We got so two look, picks. if I was, if I had never been to any other city, yeah. and I was looking at this problem, and I'd just been in Chicago, uh-huh. it would be a lot easier for me to be like, okay, well, it, you know, maybe when people come from another country, uh, another region of the world, they want to kind of stick to their own uh, uh, ethnic, you know, people or whatever to have that familiarity or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that, the simple fact that destroys that theory is that when I go around other places and we go around other parts of the country, it's not like that. It's everyone from all different types of countries, all the Muslims together. Yeah. So that's what makes me wonder. When you said, <laughs> is it is it uh, is it really a extension of the Chicago segregation mentality, or is, is there something else going on? Allah, I don't know. I think it's a part. I think it's the politics of Chicago as well. Chicago is known for. Uh, you know, in code, it's a, a city of neighborhoods, right? Uh, which, which, which is code for a segregated city. Yeah. Um, but how have we influenced uh, as this, I, as a, as a, as an ummah, as a community who sees itself being united? How have we pushed back against that? Uh, not very well. Yeah. And I think that's. That's as much a reflection of the adoption of this political spirit that has existed in Chicago, and I don't know if I don't know if it's the same in other places. Uh, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of politicking, a lot of angling, and oftentimes when people come together, um, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to say that. I'll say this. The unity that we're talking about, we do see that, but in, but it's often in those other spaces, the, the third space, where we see that type of uh, uh, diversity and cooperation. So why can't we have that in the in the masjids? Mm. That's we can just start spitballing now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I also don't want to um, pretend like everywhere else other than Chicago is this utopian. Uh, yeah, playground for mosques and stuff. I'm mm-hmm. sure there's other cities where it is also segregated like this. Sure, but there's plenty of examples where it's not segregated. Now the problem is the challenge is this: how do we achieve something? Um, how do we? Okay, if we do nothing, it's not going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the challenge is this is something that's supposed to be for Muslims so effortless, right? It's supposed to automatically kind of happen. Where everyone's um, praying together, and it's not there's no issue of like you know these people running the masjid. Oh, I gotta make my own masjid and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. How do you create that unity almost intentionally when it's supposed to be something that's just automatic? I, I, I disagree. I, I disagree that it's automatic. I, I think that we have a we have this 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 
perception. We we have this belief in an ideal. Uh, the idea, the ideal way that our community should look, right? But we don't necessarily, obviously, we haven't figured out. Uh, at least when we're talking about taking things to scale, we haven't figured out how to how to make that a a consistent reality. Uh, and a part of that is because we have, you know, we have pockets, you know, our associations. We, we are, I mean, if, if you grow up in Naperville, right, and I'm just throwing Naperville out there, right, but if you grow up in Naperville and that's where, you know, you, you work at, you go to school, that's where, that's where you're going you're gonna to worship at, right? But then you also, that also means that, you know, Naperville is one of the more, I guess you'd say, more uh, affluent um, um, uh, municipalities. So you got to be able to afford to live in Naperville, right? Um, same thing, you know, and we can, we can swap Naperville out for any place. So there are issues of class. Uh, there are issues of um, just social mobility that also come into play. Now, Juma, people generally will go wherever, you know, if they're working, they're going to go wherever's closest to them. But when it comes to the place that you're going to give your, that extra time to, that you're going to build your bonds, your relationships with, they're likely going to be in the, in the spaces that are closest to you. Um, so, so I think in answering this, or at least in, in thinking about it, we got to think about issues of, uh, of, of class and social mobility. Are those factors enough to say um, that, that they would impact how people utilize a masjid? But isn't it also true that, say, there's a masjid here in uh, Naperville or Villa Park or whatever? Mm-hmm that people who come to that masjid don't just come from that neighborhood. They come from a radius around there where there's many different types of uh, economic, uh, people of different economic situations and different types of housing where there's a wide variety of people who can actually go there. But yet we find people moving to that area who are of a certain ethnicity that's already kind of dominant in that place. In Naperville, even in Naperville, there's there's poor neighborhoods, there's extremely super rich neighborhoods, there's right. upper middle class places. Um, it's like that in, in most places, in most suburbs we live in. If you look at a 10-mile yeah. radius around one point, mm-hmm. a lot of variety, right? So is that, I don't know, once again, I go back to, is it a <laughs> Chicago thing or what? I don't know. Uh, I think a part of it is, is, is purpose. Um when you are unified around an activity, uh, it, it's a lot easier to come together. Uh, okay, let, I'll go back to the radius, right? There's mm-hmm. an assumption. Well, at least I know uh, where I am, like in, in Homewood. Uh, they've got some public transportation, but the further out the further out you go, the more you have to have a car, right? And there are some spaces yeah. that might impact people's ability even if they fall within that radius then maybe it's just not as uh, convenient for them to make it out on a regular basis Uh, the intentionality part I think comes in when before the masjid is built it it comes in saying that we are going to populate a neighborhood that that's going to be the center of our 
uh, our activity, or the masjid then becomes, um, it becomes the center of our activity, of our cohesion. Instead, and and give me, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I have the I have the feeling that the masjid is built first, kind of like the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's built in a particular location, and then the people move around the location. Or or is it the, or have you seen it the other way around? It's kind of both. A lot of times, the masjid there starts out as a small place where people are in a certain uh, small community are praying. And then that grows to the point where they say, we need a new building, right? And then that once that big building is built, then that attracts even more people. So it kind of goes in a cycle like that. Um, I do, I would say your point is taken about um, that it's not something automatic. I still think it's something automatic, but I would, I would agree with you in the sense that every relationship requires effort. So it's not something yeah. effortless, okay? Yeah. Even though it is, I I I am ready to battle about this. That our as Muslims, our default is that we don't care who's our ethnicity and who's not when it comes to unity and praying together and you know being active together. Mm-hmm. The default is that we don't care. That it shouldn't matter, right? It should be effort. It should be uh, automatic. Maybe not effortless because problems are going to rise and differences are going to rise and every relationship requires effort. But I want us to come back to this default spirit of that of the Prophet and his companions, of that they didn't really they really didn't care. Even though there's a few incidents when you look at the Sira, mm-hmm. there's a few incidents where somebody said something racist to someone else or something like that, and it was immediately condemned by the Prophet and it was never really a problem again. There's a few minor incidents like that. It's 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 good that you bring that up, right? Because I think I'm more I'm not going to say pessimistic, right? But we're we are definitely shaped by our experiences, and we're shaped by what um, our education, knowledge, whatever these things they shape shape our perception. And sometimes we realize that what we have experienced uh, by reading and studying it lets us know that it's actually not the norm, that we just might be in a really jacked up situation, right? Uh, but saying that I say that to say this that the the racism that the prophet um, peace and prayers be upon him that he condemned it it, it never died right it didn't die I mean, and the proof I'm not going to say the proof but the, the fact that it was something that was so pressing and prevalent within the society is found in his last address right that he has to continue to say you know, a, a white is not better than a black, a black is not better than white, you know, Arab is not better than non-Arab. We are still dealing with a lot of those influences of superiority. Um, and it's it, it may not be as as um, it's just as cut and dry as just I don't like you because, you know, uh, you're a different ethnicity, but I feel superior to you because of these particular reasons. And and because of that, that colors that that affects any type of association we have. So if I'm not, you know, if 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 my group is not running things, if we don't have the deciding vote, then we're not interested in being a part of that. Because the opposite would be, you know, I, I can't I can't picture the opposite. List listening to these people over here, which is, which has been one of the complaints and sensitivities of many in the African-American community 
in dealing with, you know, whether Arab or South Asian or whatever. Um, it's, it's the feeling of, um, I don't want to say, of, of being judged or inadequacy or, or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. But what should be natural is only natural when we are in our, our, our whole and healthy state. And America has suffered this disease of, uh, of prejudice and white supremacy uh, since its inception, and it's been promoted. And not just America, I mean, it's, it's spread throughout the world, these, these different um, uh, ideologies and, and perceptions that people have. I would argue, I agree with most of what you said, I would argue that the Prophet, peace be upon him, was supremely successful in his mission to wipe out racism during his lifetime and his immediate companions. Oh, yeah. But okay. when the the speech, even the last khutbah uh, that he gave, the last, you know, the khutbah in Hajj, it was direct. He said, those of you who are here, tell this to someone who's not here. We can tell that by the, the content of the speech that he's speaking to, 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 to for people to hear this until the Day of Judgment, right? Mm -hmm. So for people in the future, right, they also will need to hear this to extinguish racism as much as they can in their era. Now, when racism, so he was successful in his mission to extinguish it, but when Muslims started to stray from those principles, then it became prevalent once again. All right. I'm going to, uh, I'll say I agree with that to the extent of those who were closest to him that could benefit, uh, that benefited from his, um, uh, from that association. And there was a culture that was, that was produced, right? That he was able to uh, immediately address and reprimand somebody that without, you know, just said something that was just, just crazy, right? But we also have to recognize that um, when they returned to Mecca, right? And, and returned victorious and gave basically amnesty to just about uh, everybody, right? That you have people who accepted Islam, uh, and some accepted. We understand as a it was more political, or it was more just, you know, I'm. It, it, it did not. Have, it not. It did not have the same uh, level of um, of work that was required as far as reforming the character. So, I agree. He was successful, especially with those who were closest to him. Um, but that speech that he gave, it certainly could be taken for those who came after, but those also who came, who, who came in, just entered, with yeah, who had just entered as well, yeah, because they hadn't fully fully shaken off mm -hmm. a lot of the uh, uh, the racist tendencies that they had. That's a good point. So, yeah, but uh, Alhamdulillah, all praise be to Allah. Um, we really didn't, we really didn't get to the point of, you know. <laughs> How do we fix it? I think we, fi I think we honestly, f we fix this by being honest with with ourselves and looking at our own biases first of all. Mm -hmm. If we know that we want to have uh, this this united community that is not uh, that's not colorblind, that's not what we we're trying to be, right? Because we want to appreciate our differences, but we also want to be willing to put in the work, as you mentioned, right? It, it takes effort. So, what's stopping us from putting the effort in? Uh, and if we can do it in third spaces, then we can do it in our uh, in the masajid. Um, but it's going to take some. I think it's going to take some some honest conversations. Uh, you know, we'll, 
we won't get there without voicing what those things are. What are those attitudes? I wouldn't mind being colorblind. <laughs> huh? I said I wouldn't mind being colorblind, actually. Oh, really? But, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, Allah says, right, he created us different, right, so that we mm -hmm. could know one another, not despise one another. Yeah, I'm one to de-emphasize those differences to the extent where, like, okay, like I know who my ancestors were and I know what race I am and so on. Yeah. Beyond that, it's like, okay, so what, you know, for me? Yeah, I, I mean, th there's no, there's no uh, cele celebration necessarily in, uh, in phenotypical distinction, distinctions, right? Mm -hmm. that, that doesn't really, uh, that doesn't matter. Um, I, I only mentioned the colorblind um, piece. Well, yeah, there, there's a balance that, that we have to have in there. Right. That we're not judging each other just off of how we appear to each other, right? And that means that there's work that has to be done to find out who a person actually is. Uh, and and there's, there, there are hadith that talk about how you actually get to know a person. Mm -hmm. So I say we, we, I am I, one to encourage the work. Let's, let's, let's do the work that's necessary for us to form relationships and, and get to know one another uh, on a better and deeper level. All right, Alhamdulillah. Thank you, bro. Yeah, <laughs> We forgot to tell him about the dinner, sound vision. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we're going to close out with that. So March 17th, we want you to join us at Lazat Banquets out in Streamwood. We know that is, uh, it, it's closer for some and further for others. But consider it a, um, a, a blessing, uh, a credit, if you are able to make it out there because you're supporting an organization that does uh, just a tremendous amount of work and uh, on, on a lot of different fronts, and not just Chicago, but nationwide. Uh, its work touches, matter of fact, it, it touches uh, people around the world. And uh, we want you to come out. And we'll talk more about it tomorrow, inshallah, as well. But um, we, pray, we pray that this, 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 this show, what's been said, has been a benefit. Uh, if there's anything, I feel like I'm, I'm closing out a khutbah, but if there's anything that we have said that, is, uh, that has been an error, uh, we ask Allah's forgiveness and your forgiveness. And um, inshallah, we look forward to talking to everybody tomorrow. So right now we want to thank our engineer over at WCEV, Leonard. Thank you very much, sir. Our engineer in studio, the impressive one, Ibrahim Baig, also a co-producer uh, for the evening. Uh, I'm your producer as well, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer, Abdul, Abdul Malik Mujahid. Uh, the views expressed by the host and co-host are theirs and are to be taken as representative of Sound Vision, Inc., and with that, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.